It's surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest escapes these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the focal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. I'm excited to announce a new mini-series here on the show. It will not be broken into a new feed, but I'm excited to announce the new series called Rerun. So what we're doing here is taking a look at races that have happened in the past, classic races, and analyze them now, not only in terms of what happened then, but putting into context with what has happened since. So the first episode of this that we're doing is the 2016 Olympic Trials Marathon with the women. So joining me on the episode today is Jen Rines and Kerry Tollefson, two absolute pros in this space, not only as runners, but people commenting on running and also people who are coaches. So they are able to provide a wealth of information on so many levels for this episode. So what we did here is we all watched the the race prior to hopping on the podcast, and then we dive into a bunch of analysis, and this was just so much fun. I couldn't wait to do it. This is kind of a, uh, basically a ripoff of a, another podcast called The Rewatchables that does the exact same thing as this, but they do it with movies, but we're doing it with running races, and I was so excited to do this with both Carrie and Jen. Before we get into the episode, I do want to give a shout out to Tune Up CBD. I love this product. I've been using it now for, shoot, six to nine months now. It's absolutely wonderful stuff. I use both the tincture and the balm on basically a daily basis. So I always use the tincture. And in addition to that, I'll use the balm whenever I have just some sort of niggle that's going on with my body. I know a lot of people who are doctors who prescribe, not prescribe, but they say for inflammation or pain relief that they prefer that their clients use CBD instead of, say, ibuprofen and things along those lines. And I'm all about it. And I was really excited not only to use these products, but knowing that the company that created them, they have a family farm in Wisconsin. They listen to the show. They're runners and CrossFitters, and they're just part of this community at large. And it's great to support those people. And also, it's great to know that you're getting a high-level product as well. So, if you go to tuneupcbd.com and use code rambling, you'll save 10% on your order. So let's get into my podcast, Rerun, with Kerry Tollefson and Jen Rines. Hello, Jen and Carrie, and welcome to the inaugural Rerun podcast, where we take a look at the women's 2016 Olympic Trials Marathon. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're excited. This is going to be so much fun. Carrie, first of all, with you, it must have been, how, first of all, how is it when you, when you rewatch this and not only see all these people you know, obviously, but then see yourself and hear yourself on TV? Is there, oh what, what is that like for you? <laughs> well, can I just like rewind a little bit? I had had a baby 11 days before that moment. Oh, boy. <laughs> My third child was born on February 1st. And I think they were the February 12th. And so I had gotten out of the hospital, I think on February 3rd or 4th. And then I, you know, I knew I was going there, but it was so funny, Matt, they were, they were calling me before I had him because he was 10 days late. And they were like, have you had the baby? When do you think you're going to have the baby? I'm like, ah, if any woman knew when they were actually going to go into labor, I mean, they'd be brilliant, right? So uh, it was just an interesting conversation. But yeah, it's fun to look back at that because, um, I mean, you could tell, like, it's just so funny and not, I don't really care. You're a dad. You could see I had a big old nursing bra on and my shirt. Like, <laughs> it was wild, Matt. Well, I, I didn't notice that, Carrie. I, th- I think those are those things you notice yourself, but it, it wasn't like obvious in the broadcast. <laughs> well, it may be not obvious in the broadcast, but I did have an agent that was like seriously thinking I still had a baby in my belly. Like he would not like go of it. I'm like, dude, I had the baby. Oh my! So who was who was more exhausted after this race then? You or Shalane Flanagan? Well, let me just say, Shalane was super dehydrated, right, and obviously not feeling well. I got home, and because I couldn't pump or feed a kid, I developed another illness called mastitis. So both she and I had to recover from those races. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that is that is incredible. I know you wanted to start the show this way, so here we go. 
Well, I'll tell you what, this was not on the agenda. Uh, thank you for sharing. It's so exciting. Um, I, how does that not come up in the broadcast? Or did it and did I miss it? You know what? I think that's why they didn't ask me back on the broadcast this time, because they were like, why is she so foggy? Why is she so like demanding on just getting here 24 hours before and leaving immediately after? You know, all those things that they don't really remember. I remember. And, you know, but anyway, it was awesome. Like I would tell any female or male to do that because I had this this front row seat of watching history in the making. We will talk about that race forever. And, you know, both Jen and I know that that was such an amazing run and they were so tough in the heat and just so many cool storylines came out of that race. And regardless of how I did on my job or not, it was a really fun broadcast to be a part of. Okay. So Jen, before we get into this and we're going to do kind of what the pre-race buildup was like in retrospect, just after you after you rewatched this race, what was the one thing that stuck out to you that maybe like you know, that you that you forgot about or that you didn't remember until you had you know kind of reseen the uh, the race? Um, you know, it's it just reminded me of what you know a great person and teammate Amy Craig is because I you know I obviously watched the race four years ago and it just, you know, and I know Amy well, so it just reminded me, you know, her just, she, she's almost like too, you know, nice to a fault. Like I was, you know, she did everything she could to help Shalane get through that race, you know, to the point where it's like, Amy, this is your moment. You got to go and, and take this win now, especially coming off of being fourth back in 2012. So that's like, you know, just Amy's character is really what like showed through to me going back and watching it again. How about you, Carrie? I mean, I totally agree. Watching that dynamic between those two teammates, like I think I could tell earlier than they didn't come to me. They they were on the men's race, right? When there was a lot of stuff happening with the women and you could see Shalane was, she was thinking and Shalane, you know, she usually has this game face on, but her game face looked scared that day. And I think we all knew something was up. And Amy too, like the amount of time she spent looking at Shalane and making sure she was okay and making sure she got two water bottles. I don't know if you saw that, Jen, but you know, she's I did, out yes, there. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, five forty, five thirty pace maneuvering. And those are the things that I see as a commentator so close up that when you have somebody that is running that fast and also in that kind of oxygen debt and also having physiological things going on because of heat and and sun and all this other stuff going on you know, she's able to carry a water bottle in her, in her arm while, you know, taking a water top off for Shalane, passing it over, looking for Shalane's bottles, like making sure she's staying where she should be wor- worrying about who's coming from behind, looking in the crowd for her husband to see, you know, what she should do. Like Amy just, I, I mean, she had to have been exhausted both phys- physically and mentally after that race. Yeah, I would agree. But I also think, you know, when you're helping someone else, it can almost kind of distract you and you're just so dialed in because I felt like you could see Amy was making sure to like take care of everything. And I'm I'm almost thinking it's like you don't think about how how bad you're hurting at that point. You're just taking care of everything and making sure it gets done. For sure. Yeah, I think for me, the the thing that I had forgotten about was just how much Amy put the hammer down once she decided to kind of go forward on her own and Shalane started to flag a little bit, I, I, you know, distinctly remember, you know, Des coming up and passing Shalane. And then that lingering feeling of like, is Kara going to get there and things like that. And I had forgotten that, you know, Amy really put it down in the last, you know, 1.2 miles or 2k. And, you know, she really stretched out that lead, not on Shalane, but the distance between her and Des really increased. Right. I think she definitely had had something left in the tank there. So I like when Carrie mentioned on the broadcast, um, she heard Alistair say, Amy, you got to go. It was like, you know, I think she flipped the switch and, and just put it down at that point. Oh, that's on the agenda. I can't wait to talk about that line. <laughs> yeah. When I saw that, it was like and I heard him clear as day say, Amy, you have to go. Like and it wasn't as if he was trying to be mean to Shalane, but they in that moment, you could almost see Shalane um, really starting to falter, but also you could see Des lurking, like she had this like shadow, but we could see her coming. And Amy really did. I mean, you can't deny that Des can, Des runs a very steady race, but she's good at closing and she's good at winning. So if Amy wanted that win, she needed to make her move then. 
Right. So we should say that this broadcast was split between the men's and women's races. They went off at different times, but oftentimes we're kind of toggling back and forth. And actually, um, later on this month, I'm going to be recording a similar episode where we rehash the men's race with David Roche. So, you know, I've been able to watch this many, many times between <laughs> prepping for each one of those podcasts. So first of all, let's just kind of you know, the first nine miles or so, while exciting, were pretty monotonous in a sense of like, okay, nothing is, nothing amazing is happening. So we'll just kind of skip to mile nine. At that point, I think the main thing to take into account during the first hour or so is that Kellen Taylor is really deciding to assert herself and be right up in the main group, literally in between Amy Craig and Shalane Flanagan. And Des is pretty much doing the exact opposite, where she is making a point of really laying back um, in a very, almost in a casual way. It actually kind of reminded me of those random 5Ks where you see um, Mo Farah just being at the back of the group for three miles on the track and then like sprinting up to the front, like in, in like a, a quick 400 meter burst. But at mile nine, Amy Shalane, Sarah Hall, and Kellen Taylor break away from the main group where there was, you know, a few dozen women in that group that had been running around 233 to 232 pace. And we should and we should say this is also and actually, Carrie, can you shed light on this? Because oftentimes in the broadcast, they would say it's 70 degrees in the shade. And then other times they would say it's 70 degrees. How hot was it exactly during this race? Oh, I think it I mean it was like 73 degrees, I think, if they um, you know, at the hottest, I think at one point they said 75, but it actually was 73, but it, there was a clear difference between running in the shade and running in the the sun and the heat. And, you know, once your body temperature and Jen, you know, this too, and maybe more physiologically why this happens, but once your body heat gets up, it stays up, you know, very, very rarely in a marathon, will you get it to drop in like a minute where you're running through shade, but you could get a little bit of breath of fresh air um, for just a second to get out of that sun. So it was hot, Matt. I mean, the the athletes were struggling big time. And if they missed a water or if they weren't getting it to, you know, absorb, like Shalane said, hers was just kind of sloshing in her stomach and not really absorbing. It really caused a lot of, of trouble for people. So at mile nine, those four women break away from the group and then two miles later, Around mile 11, that's where um, Amy and Shalene uh, make their make their move. So at mile 11, even on the broadcast, they say, this looks like a decisive move. There they go. And you know, they, they proved correct. That was a, a very decisive move. And literally for the next half of the race, up until mile 22 or so, you know, Shalane and Amy are out there by themselves. And if we heard it once, we heard it 50,000 times. I don't know if you knew this, Jen. They're teammates going into this race. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they here they are. They get up to mile 22. And then at that point, this is where things really start to get interesting at the front of the pack. In the middle of the pack, obviously, things are getting very hot. Um, you know, only two people, only two women negative split this race. And they finish first and second. And then the next closest person to um, kind of match their second half with their first half was actually Kara Goucher, who was eight seconds off of an even split in this race. So mile 22, uh, the two leaders are up 52 seconds on Dez, who was up 26 seconds on Kara. And then just one mile later, that's when Shalane starts to slow. And that's where things really, really get interesting. All right, so we'll just stop it there. Carrie, when, when that started to happen, Shalane starts to slow. It's visible on the screen. How visible was it to you as someone who was, you know, just a couple meters away from her in the car? How visible was it for you in terms of when did she really start to um, deteriorate, uh, you know, leading up to this slowdown? You know, I think once Amy left her, it was, you could see a huge kind of like shift where, it was just put one foot in front of the other. The thing about Shalane, though, after watching this race and seeing all the races that she's run, she is so incredibly tough. I mean, really, I don't think many people would have finished that race the way she felt. And even the way she looked like, you know, you you look at that and most people, 99% of the population would want to look like Shalane did in that race, not knowing how bad she felt. Like if you had the commentary off 
and you didn't know that it was 75 degrees and or 73 degrees or whatever and humid, um, you would think that she still looked pretty good. I mean, her, her stride was good. Her arms were where they should be. She wasn't weaving very much until I'd say the last, I don't know, maybe 800 meters is really where she knew she was finishing up. And I think it really, she was shutting down big time, but, um, yeah, I want to say that I just think that she showed again, how incredibly focused and poised. I mean, you know, you heard it in the broadcast, but we knew that she did not have a good buildup for this. She had some injuries coming in and kind of just like, it wasn't the, the smoothest buildup for her. And just to show how talented she is, she has such raw talent to be able to finish that way and to make that team off of a, not a good buildup in a, in a pretty horrific race. Yeah, exactly. And then here we are at mile 24. Um, so two miles after that, that, that first split of 52 seconds back was Dez and then 26 seconds back uh, of Dez was Kara. So two miles later, Dez has put 20 seconds on Kara. She's now 46 seconds up. And then right after they pass mile 24, there's this great line um, from the broadcast booth. And, and it's uh, and, and there is Lyndon in the background in third place. Wow. Lyndon is closing. And like you can see her down the straight. She's in the shot. They're no longer um, zoomed in on the two leaders. They've zoomed out. You see her closing. And immediately after that, you see Shalane swerve across the road to get into this, like, you know, maybe 40 meters of shade, right? It's like literally one building. But you see her take about four or five steps right to get into the shade. Whereas, you know, just a few meters later, here comes Dez, completely ignores the shade, just kind of stays along her path. And for me, I don't know if you guys noticed that as well. It was like this foreshadowing moment of like, okay, here she comes. And she is not, you know, she's absolutely going to overtake Shalane at this point. Yeah, I think you could also see like Shalane wasn't, you know, taking the turns well. She was definitely as you kind of progressed from that mile 22 on, especially watching it back the second the second time, you you could really see her floating through the turns, not I mean, she did make the effort to go into the shade in the segment you're talking about, but I also felt like maybe after that she you could see she kind of lost awareness almost of where she was in space exactly as she continued to fatigue more and more. And could you see that, Carrie, as you were going through? Yeah, I can. I could see that. And that's what I was saying. When when you see how Amy sort of carried her, you know, she just kind of had to follow her lead. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I remember in that moment seeing when Des was coming up on her and she did take a couple looks back. Uh, but then when Des went by her, it was so powerful. And also, I don't think there were any words exchanged, which to me was surprising because they are decently good friends. And so, you know, I think Des was just so focused on getting home and there was obviously no energy that, that Shalane had to be, to, to be expended. You know, she needed to just put one foot in front of the other, but I think it was interesting to see that as she powered by her, that there was no communication and it just was like, let's just both get there and get this thing over with. Yeah, I noticed that too, Carrie. It, yeah, it showed kind of, it reminds you of the seriousness of getting, you know, those top three spots, you know, when Des, but you could just see the focus when, when she went by and moved into second. Then mile 25, um, Amy takes over. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, Alistair Craig has that line from the sideline. Carrie, was it, how loud did he say? I was amazed that during the broadcast, you, you say this um, as it happens. How loud was Alistair that you actually heard him in the middle of this race yell this out to Amy? It was loud. I mean, and I know Alistair. We, you know, we ran a lot of the same races and uh, he trained obviously with Jen's group. So I got to know Jen and I, you know, our old teammates from Villanova and together. Um, so we know, I know a lot of what's happening with Jen's life. And um, so when I saw Alistair, I was actually like, oh my gosh, I'm going to see what he says. Like I, you know, wanted to be quiet in that moment. And he got very stern because, you know, Amy is so nice and we know Amy very well. And um, she was clearly helping Shalane in this moment. And when you saw Des closing, you cannot mess around anymore. And Shalane Flanagan is Shalane Flanagan, probably one of the best, if not the best distance runners we'll ever see from the U.S. Um, and I just think that Alistair knew Shalane will take care of herself in that last little bit. Like she'll have to do it, right? And Amy is sacrificed enough. So, yeah, it was like, get going. What are you doing? Let's do it. 
And then, and then she did it. Like I mentioned before, in terms of like what I had forgotten, she completely drops the hammer. She not only separates herself from Shalane, who then gets passed not soon thereafter by Dez, but she puts a lot of distance on Dez as well, who is closing hard and who came into this race. And we'll talk about it later. You know, really ready to roll and had a very specific tactic in mind. And I think, you know, talk about the relationship that Amy has with Shalane and, and vice versa. Three steps after Amy crosses the line in first for an absolutely seminal moment in her life and running career. She runs unbelievably well. She's a 38-second negative split. She comes in at 228.20 on a very hot day. Three steps after she crosses this line, this historic moment, she turns around, walks back to the line, and is just peering down the road. And we just have to assume at that moment that while Dez is coming in next, she's really looking for Shalane. Yes. And you see her, you know, excited, you know, her and Des go way back as well. So greeting Des at the line. And then, you know, she was just hoping to see Shalane make that turn, you know, just waiting for, and, you know, it's, it, I, you know, and also I'm glad it worked out, you know, worked out for both of them. Cause you know, it would have, it, it was Amy's day to win and, but it would have been so disappointing for her after, if her good friend and teammate hadn't come around that turn in that third spot. So it, it, I'm sure it was just a huge relief to see her coming. And you know, what was even more fun. Uh, I was watching close and with about 400, I think it was when you saw the 400 meter flags before they made that final, like zigzag into the, um, the finish. I, you could see Amy looking over cause they kind of did a hairpin turn, right? So they're maybe like 800. I can't re- quite remember 800 miles ago. They're on the one side of the road and then they do a hairpin turn, come back on the other and get ready to do that zigzag home with 400 meters to go. And I swear Amy looked over and saw that Shalane had been passed. And also that Carol probably was within sight and you could see a four letter word come out of Amy's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw the look, Carrie. I didn't see the word. <laughs> I looked really close and you know, I don't think it was uh, the the worst or maybe Shalane's famous word. We saw that, you know. Right, right. <laughs> but it was another word and I mean I think that it was like, come on, just hang in there, you know, while she's trying to kick home to win her very first Olympic trial. So just I mean, that's the thing I love about the marathon. And it's fun to be the one of the commentators because so many different things come out and every mile it's almost like there's a different story that can be told. Right. So Amy comes in first, 2820. Des follows that up 34 seconds later, 22854. And then Shalane comes in 22919. And people might be surprised, she only had a 19-second positive split, which really shows how hard she was pushing this entire race, you know, considering that she you know, literally gets put in the wheelchair after she finishes, you know, this woman pushed, I don't know if she, like, again, it's, it's all, it's all easy to say, here I am, you know, recording a podcast and like, you know, in the, in the warmth of my home, but it, it, it's hard to imagine somebody giving more than Shalane gave on that day. It, it really does feel like she completely exhausted herself to the point where, you know, I, I can't think of a way where she would, you know, potentially have run faster on that day, given the conditions and the less than optimal preparation that she had leading into the race. What do you say? What do you think about that, Carrie? Yeah, I think that's what was so interesting was that she actually had the 10 weeks of, you know, prep, which normally she probably would have had, I don't know, maybe even 16 weeks. I'm not sure exactly what she would have wanted, but, um, I think the big thing is that the fueling for her just did not work and that she said that. And I read a couple articles after, and you know, this race took a lot out of her. It it took a long time for her to recover. She had to have an IV, which she's never had. I've never had an IV. I don't know if you have Jen after a race, but you know, you could see in the interview post race, how, how ill she actually was. Like she pulled it together to have an eloquent, like, um, you know, like quote at the end there. Um, but sweet baby Jesus, I'm thankful for Amy or whatever she said. But, you know, I think that she really is just such a class act. I mean, I love Shalane. I think the world of her and I think the way that she carries herself and the way that she she really races is something that, you know, we'll be wanting to see more of, which sounds like we won't. Yeah, we'll talk about that coaching part in a little bit, because I think there was a lot of that talk in this um, broadcast, you know, not 
you know, not not in terms of them, you know, prognosticating a future for Shalane, but just talking about the relationship that her and Amy had, especially during their buildup for this race. And then we should mention Kara Goucher comes in a little over a minute after Shalane, you know, at eight second positive split. So she ran the second half very, very well. And I, sh- I just said before that only two people negative split. I was wrong. Ninth place runner Katja Goldring actually had the most pronounced negative split of the race. So she finished ninth overall, 235-21, and her negative split was actually by three minutes and 51 seconds. So, you know, good for her. It was, you know, positive split mania on both the men's and women's side, and she was probably the person who, you know, kind of paced herself the best, all told. So, with that being said, from a build-up perspective, coming into this race, I actually have, you know, the on Let's Run, they had this like enormous poll about how people were going to finish. So the, the people would, you know, vote on who they thought would, would, you know, get first, second, third in this race. And it was amazing. They had like 1200 people go into this poll and with the, the, by far and wide, the leader going into the race from the people who are, you know, kind of actively watching this from afar, but certainly not experts was Des Linden, who had 622 first-place votes, Shalane Flanagan, who had 455, and then Amy Craig, who had 20. So you going into this race, at least from the public perception, there was a clear top two. And when you look at the, the preview articles, it kind of feels the exact same way. So I guess, start, Jen, I'll start with you. How did you feel going into this race in the moment, and how did you, and now that you've looked back on it, how do you, you know, think about it in terms of, what what the pre-race hype either got right and or got wrong. Yeah, it's funny looking back because going into it, in my mind, I counted Amy as being right in that, you know, say top, top three or four, just because I know Amy well, and she'd been, she'd had a couple, you know, she had one salad, I think marathon and maybe one or two rough ones, you know, in the pre the years leading up to 2016, but knowing her marathon ability, like I, and also knowing Amy, just seeing how she looked off the line, I was like, she's going to be fine today. She's going to be right in that mix. And it is funny to look back because of, of course you would also expect Des and Shalane to be the favorites to make the team. Um, but you know, I almost kind of f- forgot that Amy wasn't in that same category at the time. How about you, Carrie? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think that most of us thought it would be Shalane, Amy, Des. Um, you know, Dina, did, she pulled out just a few days before. So I think people were kind of hoping that Dina would have a great day and make it again. Um, Sarah Hall was just sort of getting her name where, you know, not like she is now where she's one of the favorites. She just was always a dark horse, you know, and I think that day she still was. But I, I really thought Kellen Taylor had a, a really good shot. And I think if you watch the the broadcast back, you know, I think one thing that Kellen did, maybe she would have changed or she'll be a little bit more um, careful about was pushing that pace early on. And I know that she had told her coach and Ben Rosario told me she was going to be patient. She was going to, you know, basically sit and then use her strong finish that she normally has. And then things change, you get excited, you feel like you got to have a certain pace. And so she pushed the pace. And it caused her, I think, the race she wanted. So um, I did not think so much about Kara. Uh, You know, I think that Kara really showed herself and had a phenomenal race and showed the grit. And she used a lot of emotion from other things that were going on to run so well. But um, I don't know why I didn't have her as one of my dark horses, because I think when Kara toes the line, and she says she's ready, you kind of have to know she's ready. So she she surprised me, but I shouldn't have been surprised. It was like, shame on me for being surprised. All right. So let, let's talk about the what ifs, because there's so many in this. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of places to start, but I'm going to start exactly where you left off, Carrie. What my biggest what if or one of the biggest what ifs is what if Kellen Taylor used the strategy that her and Ben Rosario had outlined? You have this funny moment. Carrie, where you're you're talking about this exact same thing in the broadcast, and you're like, I talked to Ben Rosario, and he said that Kellen is going to shadow Des the whole time, and that's how it's going to be, and this is how she's going to make it work. And in that moment in the broadcast, you're like, that's obviously not what she's doing right now. <laughs> she was like up in the front, leading the pack. So what do you think, Carrie, if she was able to kind of adopt the strategy 
that she had outlined, what, what do you think could have been different? I think she would have had a different day. I don't know if she would have made the team. I think she would have, you know, just felt a little bit of, a little bit better about the way she raced. But listen, Kellen Taylor is aggressive and she is somebody that is very, very smart when things go right for her. I think it's because she's done it the way that she and Ben have planned, but you can't take the heart out of somebody. And you know, I get it. She wanted to make that team so bad. And she probably thought about pacing and she wanted to be where she wanted to be. And um, so you can't fault somebody for going for it. And I did feel bad watching it back and thinking, oh, I was kind of harsh. But at the same time, I have to be critical at times and I have to analyze what I'm seeing. And um, I was seeing something that I thought was a mistake. And that was my Minnesota nice of not saying it very bluntly. <laughs> but I thought that she made it was too warm for her to be pushing that early. She was too good of a runner to be the one, uh, you know, being kind of that scapegoat or, you know, the sacrificial lamb, like people always like to say in on broadcasts. Uh, and so I, I felt I felt bad for her because I did feel in the long run it wasn't going to be a good day and it wasn't the right strategy. Yeah, Jen, did you feel the same way? Um, I yeah, I feel like in the end, it was probably a, a big learning experience for her. And I know Kellen, that's just her nature. She likes to push. So I can see her getting excited. And I think after learning from 2016, my guess is her and Ben will come up with like a creative plan this time around of how, you know, she can kind of utilize that, but maybe in a slightly more conservative way. It's so hard to that it's so hard especially in the marathon like you know me as a 1500 5k girl like you have you can recover a little bit better from mistakes at times or or you really just get your your doors blown off you but it's short and sweet and it's over and people you know don't have to see the pain and agony for so long yeah the marathon can be tough when it's once it's gone south and you got to stay committed and you know it's yeah it is heartbreaking when you know you're not going to be in that top three and you got to still tough out another hour hour and a half of a race for sure and she toughed it out i mean what what did she end up? I don't have that right in front of me I think she was six yeah i mean she yes she held it together a lot better than most people would have she did. Yeah, so she ended. You're right. She's six. She finished in two thirty two fifty, and she had a, a three minute positive split in the second half uh, of the race, which is actually pretty much in line with the with the women that she finished with, frankly. But I think it probably just happened. It happened differently than those folks because you know, we saw it right right at the top of the race and saw it, you know, kind of saw it firsthand. Um, but all right, let's do a second what if, and this is one of the things that I I didn't quite understand. Um, so I've watched the race a couple times and they didn't address it in the broadcast and I still don't really know why. Jen, any insight or what if as to why Shalane and Amy didn't just adopt a drafting strategy as opposed to running shoulder to shoulder? Uh, you mean early or late in the race? I guess basically, I mean, certainly late in the race when Shalane started to flag, but even before that, why not just work together instead of going side by side the whole way? I mean, I'm, I think they were just more comfortable running side by side. They probably had done, you know, countless long runs and tempos where they're running side by side as opposed to one leading the other. So I'm thinking that's just how they felt the most comfortable, uh, rather than trading off. And I think later in the race, I think Amy was just trying to help and manage Shalane's fatigue, you know, the best way possible. Cause I noticed a few times around turns where Shalane was on the outside and I was like, Oh, I think I would have wanted her tucked on the inside, but you know, I think Amy was just doing the best she could to kind of keep Shalane on course. <laughs> and Carrie, what, what do you think? Did, what, did you have any insight as to why they didn't maybe adopt a drafting strategy even later in the race? Um, obviously Amy was like really tending to Shalane in a very caring fashion at certain points, but obviously like they're very well aware of how useful, how useful drafting, you know, can be in certain circumstances. Yeah. And I don't think, I can't remember if there was any wind really. It was interesting to watch Meb race because he actually did tuck in behind, um, right behind Rupp. And you could see him almost deliberately tucking in. Uh, but I think when you are running with your teammate, like Jen said, you know, all of us have those stories of one steppers or people that, you know, always kind of drag off the pace or whatever. And it gets kind of a little bit, it wears on you a little bit. So I'm assuming that they were just used to that rhythm of running next to each other, but also they had this kind of joint plan, right? Of not making any drastic moves of not pushing too hard. And they were working together, talking together. Um, 
But I do think too, if you do want to talk about being competitive, if, if one person's in the lead and you have to be the one behind, you know, there's thoughts that start to come into your mind. You start to think a little bit too much and then you get, if you need to switch into lead and there's just a lot of thinking that goes into that. So for me, I just thought that that was the most relaxed way to run it was side by side. It was, it felt comfortable and you know, it's what they've done and what they practice. All right. So Amy comes in at two twenty eight twenty. We know that how it, how hot it was that day that you definitely added several minutes to people's times in, in regards to like how fit they were versus the time they ran. But Carrie, how, what was Amy capable of that day if she had simply run her own race and gone out and, you know, really, you know, emptied herself um, in a way that, you know, we know she didn't in that race. You know, we could just see her at the finish line. She was, she still felt, still looks fresh after the finish of a, of a, of a boiling hot marathon. You can only imagine. So what do you think she was capable of on that day? If she had run, if she had raced it a little differently? Well, I mean, we went to see her, you know, go on to run 222. Is it 222 is her PR, correct? 21, I think. 21, okay. 221, 222. And, you know, I think that she is, she was close to that. Maybe not, maybe not quite 221, 222. And if you take away some of the heat, uh, I think she probably was ready to run 223, 224 at the time. Um, But I do think that what Jen said early on is that she wasn't thinking about her race until that last 2K or so. Um, She was more, you know, tending to her her friend and her teammate. And to me, when you're doing that or you're pacing someone through a workout or you're trying to help someone through a race, your mind is in a different place and you're not really focusing so much on yourself. So, you know, if she had been racing just for her in those kind of conditions, I don't know, I, I would I would say maybe three, four minutes faster uh, and on a perfect day without the heat and humidity because it was humid there that day. Maybe she was ready to run a 223, 224. Yeah, I would, I would agree it. Especially with how comfortable they, she was kind of dropping down to 5.30 midway through the race. Like that showed that she, I think she could have run 5.30 or a little better um, on, on a honest day. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can believe it. It was just so, it was amazing to see her and Des cross the finish line. And let's talk about Des for a second because I rarely, like, again, professional athletes are by nature in certain ways. Um very, you know, they, you have to be confident on some level to perform at the highest level year in and year out. With that said, I was in awe of Des Linden's confidence coming into this race and throughout the race. And I'd love to hear your perspectives because just to refresh people, if they haven't seen this race coming into this race, her and her coaches were saying, yeah, she's not coming in a hundred percent. And that's by choice. We think she can qualify anyway. Even not at 100%, she runs, you know, back in the pack, you know, in the, in the beginning. She doesn't go with the leaders. She then closes super hard. You talked about that moment where she passes Shalane. You know, it, it just seemed like it was almost like preordained in her mind that this was going to happen. Carrie, thinking back to, to that time and now looking back now, what was it like witnessing this athlete who was, from a confidence perspective, seemed to be on a completely different level? That, that's just, it's just so hard for me to even comprehend. Well, and even, I don't know where it was. Here it is. I think she was, it was right around six miles. She's smiling and waving to the crowd. And you know, you know that in a marathon, like you are pretty relaxed early on, but when you're at the Olympic trials, <laughs> um, for her to kind of be pointing to people or whatever, I liked that. And I like that about Des, you know, Des is so kind and, you know, we know when she's ready, we know when she's confident and, she still has just a nice way of putting it, but she is daring, right? I mean, we see that she hangs off in lots of her races and she runs very even both the front, the first half and the second half. And um, you have to know that you can do it. You have to be so strong mentally. And, and even though she was maybe not quite 100%, sometimes I think that they might say that about an athlete, but an athlete knows if they're strong enough, you know, she might not have been sharp, but she was strong enough. And that's what I think they meant is that she might not have had the the perfect buildup, but she had a good buildup. Um, but I just love Des and I love everything about her. And, you know, she didn't say anything that I don't think any one of us, you know, would have thought different about. She just, she was there to do her job, make that team and move on from it. 
Yeah, I was never worried, even watching the race the first time around. Like I, I remember thinking, Des, she's calculated, she's a pro, she's running her own race. And even though early on, a couple of the commentators like, you know, kind of they made a couple of comments like Des is back. She's not covering the move, but you know, I was like, Des knows what she's doing. And I felt like she was running a calculated race the whole time. Yeah. One thing that they mentioned and Jen, I'd love to hear your perspective on this is, you know, and, and I thought it was a great insight is that it's one thing to have a strategy and it was right at mile nine where they said like, listen, you can have a strategy, but it's so hard to see four people just go up the road on you in a race like this where top three get the seeds or get, get the spots and, you know, move on to the Olympics. You know, what, what is that internal feeling like when you have to, you know, judge your pre-race strategy versus what's actually occurring mid-race? I think it's something, you know, individually you have to judge on the fly. But one thing, like the perspective I always had was, you know, at a mile nine of a marathon, there is a long way to go and there's so much that can happen. So I think you just have to monitor, you know, what's going on, how far they're getting ahead of you. But also I think in, you know, like in Dez's mind, she's thinking, you know, we still have 17 miles to go. That's a lot of time and it's 73 degrees. There's so much that can happen. And also monitoring yourself, knowing if you feel steady and strong and you know what you can do, say, even over the last 10K, if you have to make up some ground, I think in such a, in the marathon, you really have to, to keep all those things in mind. Okay. Let's move on. Carrie, what was your favorite moment of the race? Oh gosh, there were so many, but I do think my favorite moment was probably watching well, this is after the race, I guess, but right when Shalane crossed the finish line and see seeing Amy try to keep hold her up and keep her up, um, you could see the fear that Amy had, like making sure she was okay, looking around. But I do think during the race, watching Des go by and showing all of us, even though Jen and I have been in the situation where when you have when you make a move and you pass somebody, you got to make a decisive and strong move. I think that was a learning moment for everybody to see somebody just put the hammer down and go hard and put some distance on and keep chugging home. So that was my favorite during the race, but favorite moment of the day was watching Amy, you know, hold up her friend and teammates and and work so hard together. How about you, Jen? I think my favorite moment of the race was seeing Amy cross that finish line because I, even though she was, you could see she was still concerned with Shalane um, during, you know, much of the end of the race when she was running solo, you could see she did really relish that moment of winning the trials at coming back after finishing fourth and taking that in. I think I would say for a couple minutes and then it was back to, okay, where's my teammate? But I just really enjoyed seeing her have that moment. Yeah, I hear you. And that that really was so fantastic to witness that bond that they shared um, throughout their training and throughout this race. It's such a not only is it special, but it's just unique. You know, I was trying to rack my brain, trying to connect, you know, those those, trying to think about times in which I could recall other athletes doing that. And one of the one of the, you know, ironically enough, it also involves Shalane was I was thinking about, you know, in Boston, the one where Des won it where she helped bring Shalane back to the field after a stomach issue early in the race. And then, you know, wasn't even thinking about herself. Des was about to drop, but said, Hey, you know what? I'll help Shalane get back to the field. And then, you know, Des, you know, once you know, it goes on to win the race. It was a little different because it happened so early in the race, but it was just one of those unique moments where it's hard to find something comparable. And with that said, I think my favorite moment in the race was the, the, was the moment where they, they pan out. You see Lyndon uh, coming fast and they say, Lyndon is closing because it was like that, that great connection between not only a great broadcasting moment, but just a, a really fun point in the race where, you know, things really started to, you know, pardon the word choice here, heat up a little bit. And, you know, it really started to be like, OK, what is going to happen? Who knows what, you know, how this is going to finish out? So um, with that said, let's move on to a couple of different categories, I guess, Carrie, for you. After watching this, um, and we're, what, what aged the worst in terms of either the race or the broadcast? What, what thing do you look on, look back on now and go, Oh, I didn't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of that or I didn't like seeing that. Oh, I guess, um, 
Oh, that's a tough question. What's the worst? Well, part of the worst for me was saying, hey, guys, back to you guys every single time. They gave it. <laughs> I was very critical of my commentary, but also trying to be very nice to myself because I know my brain was not where it should have been. I was home wondering how my brand new baby was doing without their mom. Um, but, you know, I would have to say one of the worst things that I saw was just seeing the almost the fear in Shalane's eyes. And, you know, that being so close to her, you know, you could see as the race went on almost white, she was very red in her face, almost white splotches. And, um, you know, that was scary because for the first time ever had we seen Shalane sort of falter. And, you know, we just, you don't see that with Shalane Flanagan very often. Um, we saw it in Boston after, you know, but we hadn't really seen it leading up to it. Have we really, Jen? I mean, can you remember races where she doesn't really just nail them? Yeah, not like you said, I, she even her tough race in Boston, you know, wasn't I mean, there was the cold year and there was another year that she didn't do quite as well as she wanted, but she still ran a very fast time. And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, yeah, it really did just show her toughness and like in watching the race back, you can kind of like for us who've seen her race so many times, like, you know, fairly early in this marathon, you know, maybe by mile 2021, you could see her arms weren't moving the way they normally move. And then, you know, you could see the struggle build from there. So it definitely really like, yeah, showed her character for sure. Yeah. I think the people that know Shalane knew that she wasn't quite right. Um, right. And, you know, seeing even her stride looked pretty good, but it, like you said, there was just these slight changes with her as the race went on that made most of us who, you know, really know Shalane very nervous. And, um, I, we all just wanted to see her back on that team because she was just doing so well. And Shalane never missed a U.S. team, you know, she made them all. Right. I think all of us would have been really sad had she not made it. Right. And I'm jumping backwards a little, but it reminded me, um, Carrie, do you think that Kara was aware how I'm going, going back to a what if, but in watching it back, I wondered if Kara was aware of how Shalane was struggling, you know, over that last, say, five or six miles of the race. Well, see, that's where I'm wondering, you know, I could see it, but I still saw that she looked like she was okay. You know, I mean, even though we knew right, how, right. she didn't feel well, she still was running 530 pace. Right. And I think it's hard to judge like when you're standing on the course and just watching someone run by. Yeah. So, but it is interesting because even, you know, though Kara wasn't able to close it out the way she had say, you know, really wanted to, she stayed really strong. So that was my one thing I wondered in watching it back was if she had thought she had a chance, would there, you know what I mean, have been anything else to, to dig down with? Or, you know, was that, you know, was that just the absolute best she had on the day? Well, I remember seeing Adam a couple times. I think he might have had a bike or something. Um, and so late in the race, you know, where she started to really kind of get going, you know, I heard him yelling at her and we or somebody was giving me that information or something. I guess we weren't dropping back. to. I, might, I don't know how I had heard that, but I could see that in the re in the broadcast after I watched it, the re what do you call it? You know, when I watched it again, they her neck was back with Kara. Okay. That's the sign for me watching Kara over all these years. Once her head tilts back, she's, she's hurting. And she ran that way for, I want to say the last six miles. I mean, she was hurting hard and she was so tough. I think somebody must be giving her information to say, stay in it. Cause who knows what's going to happen up front. Right. That makes sense. And I mean, I did, I was really impressed with that was like a tremendous comeback race for her. She, yeah, she really, I think she surprised people with how, how well she ran that day. Yep. Yeah. That's a great point, Carrie. And it's something I noticed as well. Some people have these physical ticks that you can see when they start to fatigue. It's funny. I'm, I, listen, I'm no, in no way a good runner, especially compared to these people that we're talking about, but I'm the same way. I remember when I played college basketball, I had the same move. I, my head moved back like a Pez dispenser as soon as I got fatigued. And so as soon as I saw her do that, I was like, oh, I know that move. I know what this means. Well, and that, that is kind of Kara's thing. I don't know if it's her back. Usually her back gets tight and her neck kind of pulls back too. And, um, you know, she would, I could see her a couple of times. They would go back to her and she'd dig deep, try to get her, you know, nose down to the ground a little bit, but then it would, you know, you could see her neck going back. But 
for me to see her, like she is one of the highlights of the day, I think. And I don't know if people really realize how strong she ran and how I think if she looks back at her career and even though she's going through all kinds of different things now, I would have to say that's probably one of her best races ever. Right. I, I agree. And sometimes like, you know, you don't have that. It it would have been the fairy tale moment if she had come back and made another team, but it doesn't take away from what a great comeback it was, you know, even though she placed fourth. Yeah, certainly. I think for me, the thing that aged the worst was just a couple of the broadcasting miscues. Carrie, not on you, and I'm not going to throw any of your oh, your colleagues under the bus. <laughs> but there was one. There, there was one moment in particular, which I like. I, I was. I was funny. I was watching this uh, while doing. Um, uh, I was doing the like the, the exercise bike at Planet Fitness, and I'm like, I got my headphones in. I'm listening. I'm, I'm watching on my phone. And they draw, and I remember because the people around me all kind of turned and looked at me because I like audibly groaned when I heard it. It was this line. It was at some point they were talking about some of the ages of the runners, and they said it's an old ladies' game for the U.S. marathon. I was like, oh, oh boy, that does not that doesn't ring true. Well, they were older though. I mean, you know, all of them were in their thirties and pretty much well in their thirties, and you know, I. I, you have to be careful with what you say on air, really. I mean, everyone needs to, but I mean, it, they were old. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you're right, if you're just looking at age, <laughs> there was yeah. a lot of women in in their mid-30s, mid to late 30s. Yeah, and I love that about it, right? I mean, I think the last, I don't know, eight years, I feel like there's been a whole shift in thinking of what we can do as athletes, whether it started with Bernard Lagat, Meb Kofleski, Kara Goucher, Dina, Jen, um, all these people that have said, why do we have to think that from 28 to 32, those are your prime years? When, you know, you look at Shalane and she won the New York City Marathon when she was way older than that. So I don't know. I just, I, I totally agree with you, Matt. Like, wow, got to watch what you say. But at the same time, more power to those ladies. Like, Thanks for showing us that we can still do it as we get older. Right. And, and maybe at the in that moment, it was an understandable comment. But I guess that's why I say it, it, it aged poorly, <laughs> yeah. so to speak. Um, especially since some of those people are about to run in 2020 and could make the team again. Exactly. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay. So with that being said, let's talk about what aged really, really well uh, from this race. Jen, let's start with you. Um, well, I think it's kind of what we've been already talked about a lot was just the, you know, the story between Amy and Shalane and how, you know, how that all played out and Des running strong. I, but I feel like, you know, really just the Amy and Shalane, um, helping each other and, you know, showing the, the bond they had. I feel like that's kind of what shows through over the years. How about you, Carrie? Yeah, I agree. But I also love how Des, I mean, she just announced she's going to do the trials and Boston um, I like Dez's approach to running. I think when she was younger, you know, she had that approach of, you know, she has this passion and she wants to go for it and do all these things. And now she is a businesswoman and she still loves it. You have to love it. And you still have to have the passion and you still have to have the drive and the focus, but this is her job and she's capitalizing and she's working super hard. And, you know, you look at this woman and you think if all of us in life worked as hard as she does at a corporate job or at, you know, in education, in, you know, when, when, if you're a doctor in medical, whatever it is in the medical world, um, if we all worked as hard as Des Linden, think of how successful we would all be. And I just love that she is kind of doing things a little bit different. And, um, you know, I hope we see her again at the next Olympics. Yeah. And one the thing that aged really well for me, um, not the only thing, but one of the top things is that, you know, a lot of people talked about how this was a brutal race. It was so hot and maybe not the ideal time or location for the Olympic trials to be run. And certainly on that day, as we talked about, you know, the weather affected a lot of people in both the men's and women's race. Ultimately, I think this aged pretty well because, you know, in Rio, again, I, the conditions were not ideal. The women placed very well. Shalane sixth, Des seventh, Amy ninth. Right. We had a great showing in Rio. They all ran great times, 225, 226 and 228. I think, you know, in the moment, it's easy to understand why there was some pushback on that day, especially given the heat. But ultimately, I think it, it proved to be, you know, not that bad of a choice in retrospect. 
yeah, I think those ladies learned so much about themselves throughout that, that race. Um, you know, whether you're coming from behind or you're helping your teammate or you, you know, you're gutting it out and trying to finish the thing because you clearly are losing every kind of function you possibly have like Shalane was, um, you know, they, they all came back probably stronger athletes because of that race. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be one. I, I just felt like when I got to sit on the back of that motorcycle, I witnessed a race that we will watch forever and remember that not only was it back in LA where the Olympics, you know, were held where Joan Benoit won her Olympic medal, but it was in this historic town that, you know, so many people think of when they think of American distance running. And so I don't know, it was just a cool moment. And I, I loved watching. I love this project, Matt. It was fun to go back and watch it again. Well, I'll tell you another thing that aged really well was the way that, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, was their talk about how Shalane was such a um, positive force in Amy Craig's life leading into this Olympic trials uh, race. And obviously, you know, the proof was in the pudding. Amy crushed it. And you know, she was she was so positive about Shalane's effect on her. You know, she said that a couple of times during the those breakout interviews that they would air during the broadcast. And then you and the other broadcasters referenced it many, many times. And I think what what a harbinger of things to come now with Shalane taking a major role in the coaching of elite athletes. And, you know, I think I see I, you know, you can just feel a lot of people are putting hopes on her in the future. And again, Jen, you're 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 a coach as well, to, you know kind of take the mantle of who are going to be some of the top coaches for elites in the future and how can we get more women into those roles. And she is now kind of quickly transitioned from the top of the running field to what people are hoping is top of the coaching field. Right. And it's definitely an exciting time in, you know, in U.S. distance running. And we, if we look, you know, we're talking about this amazing race with all, you know, with such a deep field. And then when we look to the race we have coming up in February, you know, it's even so much deeper, uh, you know, over the past four years. And I think, you know, that's something that's been, you know, growing, um, over time is we, you know, we have women just getting so much stronger, like with, you know, a lot of, you know, leader, I mean, it's hard. We want to have women coaches out there, but we also have some great male coaches. We don't want to, you know, say it has it, it, you know, you just want someone who has the right intention and really wants to help the athlete. And I think we've just seen support across the board over the past, say, four, eight years. And now we're looking at a trials where I think we go in having like 17 or 18 people who've run under 230, you know, and it's just a really exciting time for women's running. Yeah. And you bring up a great point, Jen, with your husband, Terrence, who's a you know, high level coach as well. It's not about, you know, diminishing male coaches. It's about making sure that everyone has the, has the ability to reach their potential in that field. And then, you know, being able to, you know, ensure that because, hey, it, it raises all boats, right? If we can get all the best possible coaches to be able to, you know, take advantage of, of those situations, it's going to help everybody. Right. It just keeps raise, raising the bar all around. Absolutely. Okay. So, Carrie, what are some things that you take from this race, the 2016 trials, that you think, you know, um, leads into what we can see in 2020? Well, I just uh, did a podcast with Amy Yoder Bagley, who uh, is in Atlanta, and she is an elite coach, obviously, for the Atlanta Track Club. She said it was 30 degrees there this morning. So <laughs> uh, it's going to be way different, I think, in temperature, although they can get some warmer temperatures. I think it's going to be a little bit cooler. Uh, I think they're gonna, we're going to take away that the athletes that we saw that might not have been pushing the pace at the very end, like a Sarah Hall, Kellen Taylor. Um, you know, I think we're going to see them up there this time. They've learned a lot from that race and in, in the last four years have really grown as marathoners. And, you know, unfortunately we know we're not going to see Shalane in there. Um, but we are going to hopefully see Amy back and Des back. And so it's going to be a little bit of a rerun. I think at times where we might see the old veterans, the old ladies <laughs> uh, the way or haunting everyone and, you know, and trying to catch them from behind. But I do think we're going to see a whole, a whole new crew of young names and younger women that are going to be hopefully helping the the pace keep going and, and see if they can make their first Olympic team. How about you, Jen? 
Yeah, I think it's going to be um, definitely an interesting mix of, you know, veterans versus the the younger athletes, because, you know, we have like Emily Sisson running her first marathon in 223 and Emma Bates, you know, running 225. And, you know, I'm definitely skipping, you know, Sarah Hall getting down to 222. But it's definitely going to be an, an interesting mix. And I think it'll be really exciting because with so many people in the mix to make the team, I, you know, I don't think they're all going to wait, you know, till say the last 10 K or, you know, wait till late in the race. I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what people have planned and when, when they make their moves and however, how everyone responds. And it has been interesting. And I don't know if you um, would agree with this, but I feel like Des is taking a little bit more, She's just taking chances now. And, you know, we saw her lead a little bit in New York early on, which we normally don't. Like, I don't know. It just, I just wonder what is going to be, what that race is going to be like with the hills and with the amount of people and the water bottles and making sure they get their fuel. It's just going to be a different, it's going to be a different race. Yeah, I think it's almost like something we've never seen before because I don't think we've ever had this competitive of a field for the Olympic trials. So there's just so many variables. It's going to be, you know, super exciting to watch it play out. Yeah. And I think one of the big things that I took from this was just the importance of having marathon experience in these sorts of big races. Now, you look at, you know, the top four women they all paced themselves so well. And I think it's easy to lose sight of that with Shalane, you know, maybe not finishing the way she'd hoped, but she still ran, you know, only a 19 second positive split. I mean, she was right on it. And I think you see, you know, the potential for, you know, maybe people who are less experienced in the marathon, how things might not go the way they'd hoped, right? We saw, um, you know, Kellen not have the race that she had hoped for. We saw Sarah Hall, who, you know, wasn't a newbie to elite running at that, at that time, but, hadn't really adopted the marathon as one of her, her primary races, you know, also not have the race that she had hoped. And I just want to give you the names of the people who were running in the 10K Olympic trials that same year, because it's basically the preview of 2020. And a lot of these people, you know, I think if, if you had, you know, basically gone back in time and put the same focus on the marathon as we currently have, which seems to be kind of the, the preeminent race right now for so many people, a lot of them would have probably done the marathon trials in addition to the 10K. But you have, again, this is going in order of finish, but you have, you know, Molly Huddle. You have Laura Thweet, who decided not to run in 2016. You have Alphine Tulliamuk. You have Jordan Hesse, who ran her first marathon a year later. Emily Sisson who ran her first marathon maybe a year and a half, two years later. And then you have, um, let's see here, Lindsay Flanagan, who also raced in the trials, but ran well in the 10K. And then down in 20th, you have Steph Bruce, who's like the name that, you know, I look at this and I go, it's so interesting to see how people's careers um you can progress in such different ways. It's not a linear growth. It's not something that you can just expect to see. And then here it plays out that way. You see her come and finish 20th and Emma Bates finished 21st in the 10K. And so many of those women will be right up to the front in 2020. Yeah, totally. I mean, it is going to be an interesting race. And I think, like you said, I mean, it goes all the way, even past Steph Bruce. I mean, there's Roberta Groner. There's all these other ladies that are on the track that are coming strictly from the marathon. They're going to mesh together. And, you know, we also have Katie Moan, who's just going to be running her third marathon ever right here from Minnesota, who's, you know, right there knocking at breaking sub 230. And you know what? When you are in that 220 range, it's anyone's day. I mean, it could be anyone's day. So I don't know, Matt. We could go on and on and on. But I do think it's interesting. (laughs) that you bring up the 10,000 meters and the names that are now bumping up to this marathon. Cause that's kind of, you know, it's kind of how it goes. I mean, Jen didn't really want to be at that marathon. She tried it and she came back down to the track. I went back. Yeah. Yep, yep. But it is interesting. <laughs> but it, it is the natural progression. And uh, one other interesting thing I think with the 10 K this year is I think a lot of these ladies really feel like they're all in with the marathon because 
the Olympic standard in the 10K has dropped all the way down to 31.25. And that, I mean, that's a tough standard. So, you know, someone like Molly and Emily Sisson, they've, you know, gone sub 31 and obviously multiple times for Molly. But for some of the other women, you know, running 31.25 may not be in the card. So they're really, they know that this marathon trials, like this is their chance to make an Olympic team. All right, last bit before we get going. Just one little deep dive into some of the stats. The woman who finished sixth to last in the trials, obviously there was a lot of DNFs considering the, the crazy day, was actually just finished second place at CIM. Obviously, Baru ran 314 in the Olympic trials, and here she is at, was it, 232? She just ran at CIM a cool 45 minutes faster than she ran in the trial. <laughs> and um, it'd be interesting. Again, I, there's nothing to take from this. I was just like, it was just this observation. I was going through the list and I'm like, oh my goodness, look at this. Like, you know, she could be right up near the front. And here she I is. Saw that you know, too. Was right- I saw that too, Matt. I was like, whoa. But you know, I mean, it was a tough day. So he, I'm, she probably stayed in it just to stay in it. I don't think she was racing at that point. <laughs> But that was a nice PR for her at CIM a couple weeks ago. That that was a really good, that was a big drop, a really good run. And she may have been the youngest person in the field at that point as well. So anyway, it's just an interesting stat. Jen and Carrie, thank you so much for hopping on the show. This was so much fun and I really, really appreciate it. Loved it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Go Wildcat. <laughs> That's it. All right. Talk to you later. Carrie and Jen, thank you so much for this inaugural episode of Rerun. This was so much fun. I'll tell you what, I think that this has uh, some staying power. I'm excited to do similar episodes. I am going to release an episode with David Roche next week talking about the men's race of the 2016 Marathon Olympic Trials. And then after that, we'll do other races. And I can't wait to do it. I'm sure as we progress, we'll come up with new Basically, new new uh, categories and way to comment on these races. This was the first try, and I think it went really well. But if you have any suggestions, feel free to reach out. You can find me at ramblingrunnerpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram, rambling underscore runner. Or you can go to my new, not new, but my redone website, theramblingrunner.com. You can also reach me on there. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening, for rating, and for and for reviewing the podcast. Also, thank you so much to our sponsors, TuneUp CBD and Prevenex. I love those guys. I use them all the time, and I wouldn't be letting them sponsor the show if I didn't believe in them wholeheartedly. So thank you very much, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that. The focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.